Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whatever witching hour you might be hearing this. If you can detect the sound of my voice, then you have arrived. You are at the DC Comics News Podcast. This is episode number 62. I am your host, Seth Singleton. Thankfully, I am not alone. Otherwise, hearing my voice for the amount of time it takes to cover all these stories would be quite monotonous. I am thankfully joined by Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, how are you, sir? I'm doing okay. Wonderful. Also, we have with us Kelly Gaines. Kelly? Hello, hello. And rounding out our fantastic, fantabulous four, Mr. Steve J. Ray. I'm warm and glowing. And with that, a smile on my face, I am happy to start us right off with our first movie news article, subject, topic, more importantly, the thing we're going to talk about. When it comes to Ben Affleck, he's had quite a storied movie career, and in a recent conversation, he went ahead and kind of talked about his time in the Batman suit, Batman versus Superman, Justice League, and, well, all the things that that might entail in a very open interview. Brad, what was your take on this story, my friend? It still made me sad that we are not going to get to see uh, a Ben Affleck-directed Batman movie. Uh, I Don't get me wrong. I'm super excited for Matt Reeves' Batman coming out. Uh, but, I, I, but I do like Ben Affleck's directing, and I think he would have he would have done a really good job. Um, but having said that, I can see where he's coming from. Such an, icon, uh, an iconic character can take a toll. That's a lot to it's a lot to live up to. And you know, it, it the, that the article did get into a little bit about the tragedy that Zack Snyder had in his family, and that took a toll as well. So, uh, you know, I I, I can kind of understand where he's coming from with this, and I I I, I get it. Um, I wish he could have continued, but, you know, that's, those things just kind of happen. Life happens. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I, um, I do wish that we'd gotten to see him direct. Um, he's a really good director, and I know I've said before that I wasn't a huge fan of him as Batman. Um, and really, a lot of that came back to watching it. He's a face that I'm so familiar with that it's... Um, not watching Batman, I'm watching Ben Affleck dressed up as Batman. But to see him direct a Batman movie would have been a really cool edge to it. I mean, I'm thankful for what I've seen so far coming out for the Matt Reeves version. So, you know, I have high hopes for Batman, but I, yeah, I think it would have been a cool project to see him do. And Steve, how about you, my friend? I'm one of the few people that I think that are really really dug Affleck's Batman and he was on screen at least definitely the most comics accurate version of the character seen to date and like you both said very very talented director his version would have been pretty spectacular um, I don't know if it'd be quite as spectacular as what we're going to get from Matt Reeves though because everything I see building up to his version is just better and better and better but what struck me in the interview and he was being incredibly diplomatic. He'd clear his throat and uh, be very, very uh, coy and say, um, 
you know, sometimes things kind of work in jail and sometimes they just don't. And you could tell that he, he felt the interference from the studios as much as the fans did. I mean, the fact that he's still very vocally behind uh, theoretical fantasy Snyder Cut version of the film proves that. And, and the way he said that he was so, so enjoyed working on Batman v Superman, but he didn't enjoy Justice League proves that because... Batman v Superman was more or less um, the film Zack Snyder wanted to make. So, yeah, it's sad. And maybe in Dreams Library, there is uh, Ben Affleck directed the Batman movie. And perhaps one day in Dreams, we'll get to see it. What did you make of it, Seth? You know, I ended up watching not just the section about Batman, but the entire video clip. And I was actually just taking all of his work into consideration and how much time he spent on screen. I think that would have to be the uh, hope and dream of every actor that you can see all the different roles you've had an opportunity to take on. What I really took away from this one was the fact that he seemed almost caught off guard by the responsibility and the weight that came with taking on the character of Batman and portraying him on screen. And I was surprised by that, knowing that he'd already played an iconic character like Daredevil. And so I found it interesting that even after that experience, which I thought might have benefited him, he had really still felt that there was this uh, expectation, which deservedly so came with playing Batman. And it was something that he embraced in Batman versus Superman. And he did really well because he focused on the idea of Frank Miller's Batman, of um of this dark night portrayal of someone who is world weary and aching and struggling. And yet it seems like from that point, he felt that portraying Batman after that was that same sort of uphill struggle. And I do agree he was very diplomatic, but he did point out how in this instance, he felt that the the project wasn't working with itself. It was working against him and potentially the other actors and the rest of the crew. But that in other examples he provided, when things were working really well, especially with the most recent and projects like Argo, he felt that there was just this progression of momentum, which just didn't happen after Batman versus Superman. Thinking about him as a director uh, for the Batman, given what I've seen him do as a director, I think he could have done an amazing thing. But I also know that he pointed out when he was talking about the town that he felt that as a director, he had limited how many times he did certain takes and what his comfort level was. If he still felt the pressure when it came to directing Batman, that could have been a real difficult challenge on top of being the director and making that project happen. But I also felt that he did a responsible thing by saying, I no longer felt enthusiastic about this. And I actually felt that if someone was going to do this, this should be like their dream project, a lifelong accomplishment. And that's who should be in charge of this, not someone who is already feeling the weight and the strain and the struggle. So I really took those elements into consideration when I was listening to this uh, really great conversation, really great interview. Any other thoughts from anyone else? Uh, this was a pretty compelling topic and one that we've covered on a few occasions. So I didn't want to leave out any follow up opinions, thoughts, considerations. I think I owe him Wish a him every slight success. apology. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've Why is that? So, I, I've been so anti-Ben Affleck Batman in so many ways. But you're right. Hearing the respect that he has 
for this project and obviously for the character just from saying I'm not the right person to do this because this is a dream project and if I'm not feeling it you know screw the however many hundred million dollars you can make off of it like that that is actually a really really good case for him just as a human being you know, I, I think that's important, too, with the idea of the, the human being part of him that was also addressing, I believe, similarly around or around a similar time, his issues with drinking and substance use and how that was going to be something else he would have to confront while also working on, you know, a, a very uh, delicate project like directing Batman. Yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. <laughs> I I definitely like where he's at and I feel like he's really, you know, um gained some insight and hopefully that's through his recovery process and the way he seemed to really make a connection between that and the uh character he's portraying in his newest movie coming out. Um but overall, I uh, really enjoyed the content and if we don't have any other thoughts, pause, pause, pause. We're going to shift gears. Move into our next story, which happens to be about the Batman. And if you felt like maybe there was a bit of a buzz around the internet, around social media, you were not wrong. Batman director Matt Reeves revealed official first looks at the Batmobile on Twitter on Wednesday. And I don't know if there was a more popular topic or... If I saw anything quite so eye-catchingly cool as this first appearance of the Batmobile. Now, maybe I'm alone. Maybe nobody else liked it at all. Maybe, you know, maybe. But uh, then again, that's why I get to turn to Brad and say, Brad, what was your take? (laughs) As much as I didn't like the ears on the new costume, I love this Batmobile. I, I love muscle cars. Uh, I think it was a great, great route to go. I love the design. Uh, as someone who at one point had a 1971 Chevy Malibu, uh, it's not that it's Malibu. Nice. It harkens back to that that really, uh, just a really heavy muscle car, and I just, I, I love it. And it also kind of reminded me of um, Batman Overdrive, which I think came out this past week or the week before. Uh, which is this graphic novel, um, like a uh, like a kid's graphic novel, but it was really kind of good. But it it, it kind of you know, going off topic here, but it highlights the origin of Batman centered around the Batmobile, and the Batmobile was kind of a muscle car. So I kind of like that little um, unintentional connection. But yeah, I just I I love the design. I can't wait to see it in action. Uh, a great choice, Kelly. What do you think? Yeah, I. I would say I have almost mixed feelings because at a at a first glance, it reminded me a lot of um, like a, a a Dodge Challenger almost, which is it, it's the car that shows up in Archer. So it's one of my favorite cars. So I like it. But for Batmobile, I almost wish it was a little pointier. Like there there's a part of me that likes pointy Batmobiles, like the weird scalloped edge kind of look from um, like I don't even know what it was from an one of the animated ones. But that being said, this is, I mean, from the shots of the side and the back, it's clearly a Batmobile. Like, this isn't, um, I guess my initial impression was almost like, this could be a real car. But it's it still has that super high-tech 
almost terrifying hearse-like Batmobile energy. So I, I'm, I like it. Yeah, uh, while I've been a fan of every single Batmobile going, all of them, a lot of them more recently have been a lot more like Bat tanks than Batmobiles. This is a step backwards, but in a good way. This has gone back to, like you said, the muscle car, the sports car, the sleek engine of speed and power that we had really from uh, Adam West's Batmobile all the way up to Michael Keaton's. And this, again, and there's been loads of jokes made about it across the internet, is the kind of Batmobile you can see Jason Todd trying to steal the tyres from. So for me, I am very happy with this. The red lights, the demonic look, that raised engine out of the back. It's gorgeous. And this this is a beast that no police car is going to be able to keep up with and that will run through any kind of barrier. I am looking forward to seeing this. And more importantly, I'm looking forward to hearing the engines. Vroom, vroom. Seth, what did you make of it? Well, the first thing I needed to keep in mind was there was no way I was going to argue with the master of Felicky fashions. Um, I, I fully understood where he was coming from with the bad ears from previously. But knowing I had his support going in on the Batmobile and then with everyone else, it's like I'm joining a chorus. Now, how do I stand out or distinguish in any way? I really don't. I just try and harmonize with you guys and blend in nicely. I know for a fact, yes, I immediately thought Challenger, Charger. Um, I immediately thought Bullet, that beautiful you know, street uh, chase scene taking place right around the corner from me here in San Francisco. And those two iconic muscle cars. And then I thought muscle car. And I thought, man, if you want to have street cred, if you're young starting out, if this is your first forays, if you're still building that identity, you want to make an impression right from the beginning. And if there's one thing that makes an impression on the streets, it's street muscle. This thing has it. Plus, I love that if this was a Batmobile I was going to draw as a kid, it would look just like this. You know, a little slanted, a little jacked up in the back, giant engine, like unrealistic engine. And when you look at the engine on this thing, I love that Kelly called it terrifying. <laughs> I just love the idea of it looking like, you know, someone just swiped it off of a jet and said, all right, we're just going to bracket mount this bad boy right in, get a little engine lift, <laughs> sink her in, bolt, bolt, crank, crank, hook up some hoses and punch a go. Um, I mean, this thing is sick, to say the least. Um Steve, you you read my mind. The hive mind is active and conscious with the four of us reunited again. And I was immediately thinking, okay, she, you know, and because I was a kid who was raised, you know, idolizing these kinds of cars. And Brad, I love, I love that you had that '71 just muscle mean. That that sounds like it was a fun time. I want to hear some stories about that. <laughs> But the the idea of it, you know, you, you call the girl, you call the car she because it was like a ship or a vessel, and the first thing that came down in my mind was, okay, she looks amazing. What does she sound like? But it looks amazing. What's the sound like? Is is really the next thing I want to hear as well. I I think this was a a really smart move to reveal these. I love the anticipation. I also love the. Uh, DC Comics News Instagram feed with some uh, 
comic book versions connected. And Steve, I liked your connection there with uh, Mr. Jason Todd trying to steal the wheels. Um, we have we have some really great stuff introduced here, and I felt like this was a really fun story and a bit of insight that just sort of sent the internet's wheels spinning on top of all of our wheels of imagination. Any other additionals before we shift along to our next story? Because, you know, this is the Batmobile. We could spend quite a bit of time. I would hate to be the one to limit that. I I have to say um, that after the leaked photos from a couple of weeks back where with the motorbike and with uh, Catwoman in the corner and everything else uh, that um, I, I do believe that now that Matt Reeves is posting these pictures, maybe he's learned to lesson from Todd Phillips on Joker set and thinks, Hey, if people are going to leak the pictures, let me at least leak some decent ones, some real ones, some that have a bit more atmosphere rather than just grainy distant shots blown up to the nines let me advertise my own film my way and if that's the way forward then i'm all for it because these picks are great and kelly yeah scary is the word that engine is demonic and i love it well i can only imagine how much more we will love and get to talk about if matt reeves takes his advice steve and learns from that mistake recognizes that when he's got great images, there's no point in keeping him a secret, but sharing them, because clearly we're going to have great things to say, or more importantly, important or valuable things to say. And that's the kind of stuff you want to hear when you're a director, I would think. I don't know. I'm not a director. What I do know is our next story is another film that I'm sure will kick up a good amount of conversation The uh, trailer that was just released for Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, the sequel to 2017's animated film Justice League Dark. Now, we know it won't come out until later this year, but this little teaser, well, I'm still salivating. So while I try and figure out if I just need a drink of water or some other solution, dry saltine cracker, we're going to turn this one over to Mr. Brad. What's your thoughts, my friend? I think the thing that jumped out to me about this trailer is just how many characters we got to see there were so many um uh looks like batwoman is in there uh, of course constantine and it was great seeing swamp thing and I- i'm really still liking the the uh the design of dark side so yeah i mean this looks uh this looks like a lot of fun and watching this trailer on a personal note i, I realized that i had not seen the original justice league dark animated movie so i'm gonna have to uh I uh, hit up the DC streaming service tonight and uh, give that a whirl. So I'm kind of looking forward to that as well. But yeah, I mean, I think it looks pretty good so far. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I um I saw the Justice League Dark movie probably a couple of years ago, and it's one of the few recent um, animated DC movies that have come out that I've actually made myself rewatch because I enjoyed it. And I remember enjoying it the first time and thinking like, huh. That's there were a few misses in there. That was right, I think, around the time the Killing Joke one came out. And I was like, wow, all right, that that actually did it for me. So I loved the first one. And this one looks really, really good. The one thing that gave me a little bit of pause is just in the rating. I, I don't remember what the last one was rated, but I do know I've seen 
think it was Justice League War, maybe, where they were trying to be edgier. And I, I don't think that one even had an R rating, but they were trying to be a little bit edgier. But then it just sounded weird, like uh, Green Lantern was just saying damn it for no reason at the end of sentences. And it, it was it was odd because it's like, well, this could have been, you know, a younger audience movie or an older audience movie. But it's just it was just teetering too much on the edge in between. So, I mean, obviously, with the uh, with the Harley Quinn show, they've shown that they can do adult animated content with really, really well with a really kind of strong storytelling line. Um, so, yeah, my, my hope is that this is a really solid movie in that it doesn't try to be edgier than it needs to be. But overall, I'm excited. Steve? Yeah, there has to be a proper balance there. They're not just going to throw in swear words to make it an R80 movie. They have to do it properly. I completely agree with you. And um, like Brad said, this trailer is so full of awesome characters. And when you see Jon Stewart and you see Swamp Thing and Constantine and Batwoman and Raven and... uh, Damian Wayne and, and all the others and Batman getting electrocuted. This looks crazy. Uh, the first animated Justice League Dark film was really, really good. But um, the one thing I do say is why uh, are they touting it as a Justice League Dark movie? Because clearly, apart from Constantine and something, this is actually just a Justice League movie. Uh, maybe it's because, I don't know, there's some magic involved, but this isn't Justice League Dark. But hey, I'll still watch it. I'll still enjoy it, and uh, I'll definitely give it a good good go because it's DC and it involves my favourite pantheon of heroes against arguably the greatest big bad in all of comics history. So, yep, sign me up whether it's dark or not. What about you, Seth? Well, I'm really glad that I'm not the only one who had some thoughts and questions. First, with the the, the rated R rating. Uh, second, Steve, you sort of hit the nail on the head for me. Why is this a Justice League dark movie? I understood why the first one was. I thought it was a really great project. Um, It was a personal birthday present to myself when it came out. Went ahead and snagged that one up and smiled because I've watched it a few times like you have, Kelly, and really enjoyed it. The only thing when you brought that up, Steve, that I could think of was, well, maybe magic is the route to defeating or stopping Darkseid in this story how that comes into play and what that means for the Justice League Dark team uh, taking on this sort of central role in what feels like just a sequel to Justice League War, I'm going to need to watch in order to get a better understanding of. And I'm okay with that. I fully accept it. There's a part of me that goes, you know, first teaser, first trailer, that's okay. You'll either learn more with another trailer or you'll learn more when you finally watch it because you will watch it when it comes out. And that's just a given. Uh, Regarding the rest, love the points you guys brought up. Brad, yes, uh, amazing cast. Um, I think everyone sort of touched on that idea. I love the selection of characters, um, the fact that we've got, you know, well-known Justice League dark characters. And then at the same time, also seeing this mix with Uh, versions of the more central Justice League kind of characters who don't quite look themselves, Shazam with that big claw mark across his face. Um, There was just these elements to it that reminded me of things that I know now are are variations on what I've seen in comics and yet at the same time feel with their subtle differences like they're a very unique and specific take. 
Overall, I know I'm going to enjoy this while I've got some questions. What I have seen so far, I've really enjoyed. So sign me up, sign me in, put it on my stream list, and I will smile along with everyone else. Any other thoughts on uh, this Justice League Dark Apocalypse War before we move on to our next story? Subtle silence tells me it's a uh, consensual agreement. We're all in Congress. Therefore, TV streaming news starts us off with the announcement that at long last, Stargirl Season 1 has a premiere date. It will premiere on DC Universe on Monday, May 11th, and then make its CW appearance on Tuesday, May 12th, finally with a debut on the CW app on Wednesday, May 13th. Brad, which day will you be tuning in? I think I'm going to catch this on CW. I think this will be something I put on the DVR. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it that much. Um, uh, although, uh, it's so nice to see that everybody's going to have an option to to watch it how they want to i think it's very smart and i'd be curious to see you know after it does debut where it gets the most views is it on the tv is it on dc universe is it on the app so i'm i'd kind of be curious about that uh kelly what do you think yeah i again I'm, i'm a little behind on the CW shows as a whole, but because this is on DC Universe, I've been sort of in a major DC Universe binge for the past month or so. Um, so I'm definitely going to check this one out. And just from the pictures that we've seen so far, I this character looks so energetic and hopeful. And I feel like it's, uh, I don't know, I, I think everyone could use a little bit more energetic and hopeful in their lives at at different points so I think this is something that I'm going to make a point of actually watching and keeping up with through the entire show which I books I'm fine on movies are are a one-shot deal but I'm terrible at keeping up with tv shows I'll you know watch one episode and then binge the next 10 and then not check it out again for three years so this one I'm, I'm dedicating myself to actually sticking with this is one of those occasions where I'm so glad that I write for DC Comics News and Dark Knight News because the UK won't be getting this show because obviously we don't have DC Universe or the CW. And Sky, who originally had all the rights to all the CW shows, um, didn't get Batwoman, don't have Black Lightning. So uh, the chances of this airing in the UK are very slim until it finishes its run completely and maybe Netflix or Amazon get it. So I'm just very, very happy to write for DC Comics News and the fact that I can see it on the Warner Brothers uh, press apps like I have been with the Swamp Thing and Doom Patrol and Titans. So I can't wait to see it because Stargirl's a favourite, the Justice Society are favourites, and the fact that they're going to be making an appearance in the show. When you see those names, those iconic legendary names like Dr. Midnight, Hourman and Wildcat, I I just really get excited. And like you said, Kelly, this is a figure of hope. This is a hero 
with a positive outlook, who wants to save the world because she can, not because she's tortured or she's suffered a tragedy in her life. Though she does suffer a few, and the original Starman passing on the powers and mantle to her is a cracking story, and I cannot wait to see it. But what I really like is that whole schedule of three days in a row on three different services so the most people can watch it possible. Brilliant. Really, really happy about that. And, uh, yep, thank heavens for Warner Brothers Press app. Love it. Seth, what about you, sir? You know, I've been a fan of this since Brad and I were talking about that sort of little teaser trailer. I feel like it was only like 20 seconds that we saw. And it was like a clip of, of Stargirl and her friends. And then it was like they're all their shoes followed by a shot of all of them from like, you know, the shoulders or torso up. And how young and really just barely starting out in the world. Um, when I saw this quick snapshot that was uh, included with this story and, and look at how, and I hope I just don't butcher this like I do so many other names, Breck Bassinger um, brings that, that light. And Kelly, I think you started the conversation off on the right tone by mentioning how hopeful, how full of that brightness she is. I feel like that's something that's going to be really embraced by this, Steve. I, I thought you followed up with it in, in a really wonderful statement with the idea of this is someone who's not tortured, not suffering, not seeking vengeance, but actually is for the reasons that hopefully she'll define and, and sort of make part of the identity we get to watch develop and evolve. Someone who's decided that this is something that you do, that if you have the opportunity to, if you have the heart to do it, if you have the want to do it, and it's right there in front of you, you have the chance to live a legacy, to carry a torch. And I love that embracing of that wonderful quality that I feel is something that is really emblematic of the Justice Society. And that if you're going to have a story that includes those characters, well, then that needs to be like that shining sort of example again that the torch comes to mind maybe i'm really excited about the olympics coming up i, I get this way emotionally about the olympics and stuff <laughs> like that but maybe it's also about the fact that these hints in comics that were closer to the justice society returning and the fact we'll also finally get to see them on screen and and man one steve thank you for for mentioning these great really just lovely characters dr midnight our man, Wildcat, I really am looking forward to hearing flicky fashions regarding how the costumes live up to functionality, <laughs> style, all of those other elements. But what I know about these characters is they represented an ideal that sometimes feels like it's a, a lighthouse that gets dimmed by the fog or that the atmosphere can make it harder to see, but you still know it's shining bright. This girl feels like she is representing a star girl who can carry that torch, who can be that light. Um, you guys know how I get about hopeful stuff. This one really fills me with a great sense of hope. And I'm really also encouraged by, Steve, what you pointed out. The fact that it's a three-night event, that you get to see it on all the nights that you choose, the platform you choose. The only thing that, that makes me a little disappointed is to hear that Britain will have to wait for some sort of decision after it's already made its run to who will carry it and how people will have the chance to access it. I wish they could join in week by week. But at the same time, I also know that we're talking about a bright light. 
So if it's got the strength we're talking about, it's going to shine bright even after it's been syndicated and available on a streaming platform. Probably did a little bit of a rant there. So if I touched on anything anyone wants to follow up on, I will understand. <laughs> you are a and... ray of sunshine, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> very, There's very a big thoughtful. Superman S on his chest for <laughs> Seth. Right? I could cry. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, and that's the thing. I'm such a sucker for some of these shows. I'm pretty sure there's going to be at least half of the episodes of Stargirl where I'll go. And this is the part where I cry and I'm going to be OK. <clears throat> Please don't take any pictures. Um, I, I'm a sucker for <laughs> recently on Disney. They do their Pixar shorts and there's one called Kipple. And my wife can't even put it on and show other people because I'll get all teary eyed. Like, you got to knock it off. You can't put that stuff on, man. I get, come on. So, yeah. Oh, wait, that's not a little dog. Yeah, with the dog and the kitten in the alley. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh I know. know. (laughs) As as soon as the puppy comes out after that first sort of rough scene, like, my eyes well up and and I'm just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How does the line from uh, Scrooge go? Niagara Falls. What did I tell you? Niagara Falls. So, um, (laughs) hey, with that, (laughs) if no one else has anything to talk about, if I can find a way to shift the topic from my crying to something else, anything else, please let it be the announcement that Tom Ellis has signed on for more Lucifer. Quick, new subject, Brad, go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it looks like uh, fans are going to get their wish. It looks like it's definitely going to happen if he's re-signing. So uh, I, I just le- love to see how this show just keeps going on and on and on after NBC, I think it was NBC, canceled it after two seasons. Little did they know. Um, and it is very popular on Netflix. Um, they recently started putting like top 10 notices on things on Netflix. I don't know if this had one, but it definitely would have at some point. So fans love it, and uh, and fans love him as Lucifer. Uh, he does a great job in the role. So, yeah, the more episodes, the merrier. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this. Um, not as, and again, I'm the worst, so this is not a show I've seen all of, but I do know that everyone I know who watches it has been very, very adamant about it is the best thing on Netflix and someone I knew recently wrote a paper about it. And it was this whole thing about characters that make you have actual sympathy for the devil. So I'm, I I'm excited that they're, you know, they're getting this shot to do the next season. Um, And it's, it's funny how often you hear about shows that end up running for seasons and seasons and decades when they've been canceled and bumped to other places and canceled again. And I mean, it's, We've seen it with shows like The Simpsons and Family Guy, even where it's networks don't always necessarily know what's best for them. So, kudos to that entire show, their whole staff. That is really, really exciting. Steve? This makes me hopeful as well that the other Fox show that got cancelled after just one season, Constantine, may see life on Netflix because that's another show that really deserves it. And usually, because I'm such a comic book maniac, I'd be a little bit dubious as to um, Lucifer because it's so unlike the comic books. But Tom Ellis is so stellar. His supporting cast are so great. The scripts they write, the looks at the human condition and uh, 
faith and everything that comes with it and the way he delivers a line is just brilliant so if he signed up for another season then i'm signing up for another season and if we get more constantine and lucifer banter like we did in crisis on infinite earths all the more so and i will keep praying and keep praying that we get a season two of constantine as well yeah i'm really happy about this news what about you seth Steve, I'm right there with you, my friend. I have all the hope in the world that we will see Constantine back on his own show, back in his trench coat, on another platform, potentially now with Netflix. Maybe they can take a look at that clever, lovely, witty banter exchange during Crisis and see how much Matt Ryan would just add to what we're getting from this rebirth and renewal that's occurred for Lucifer. I mean, this show simply will not die. Kelly, thank you. I now have the Rolling Stones sympathy for the devil. Please allow me to introduce myself. <laughs> Playing in my head, as soon as she said sympathy for the devil in that guy's paper, I was like, please allow me to introduce. Oh, hold on. Hold on. All right. Um, there's just something lovely about that. Clearly, this portrayal of the devil, of Lucifer, has gained a righteous following. Oh, I love having fun with that. Of <laughs> faithful supporters. They have sympathy for this devil. They want more of him. Three seasons on Fox, canceled, picked up by Netflix, gets a fourth, gets a fifth. Everybody else signs on for a sixth. Now we've got Ellis. I wonder what the conversation could be like in six to eight months from now. And what we'll be saying about, you know, seventh heaven all sorts of fun things like that i i think uh i think the fun thing about a story like this is it almost feels like it gets cheekier the longer they can keep it going and who doesn't love cheeky and you know to point out steve i love the fact that this show seems to have not only distinguished itself as an identity completely separate from the comics but also carve a path completely unique because of that identity and uh, it's apparently to everyone's benefit. Netflix is clearly catching on. The rest of the team is recognizing that it's not time to hang it up just yet. I like what the future holds, and clearly this announcement bodes well. So with that, I'm happy to allow any other comments before we have to take our glorious hat break. Final thoughts? No? And the devil made me do it. There it is. See, <laughs> he was somehow fighting to bite his tongue, not to like, we were going to have silence and then move right to the ad break. And Steve, the devil made you do it, man. It's okay. You are among family. You are forgiven. And with that, we take our ad break. We're going to step away for a moment, allow you to catch up on all the wonderful things going on. That DC Comics News is a part of, knows about, wants to clue you in on, and then we'll be back. We've still got comic news, a little bit of that category we call Other, and of course, the great conversation that goes with it. Thanks for your patience. We'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. 
The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. And quicker than a flash, just as promised, we like to keep our word here. Because, DC Comics News, we know that things can change so often, we want to be that constant in your lives. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, here on episode number 62. I'm joined by the amazing Brad Felicki, Kelly Gaines, Mr. Steve J. Ray. We are moving into comic book news. And when it comes to that concern about consistency, this is one of those stories that raises that concern. DC announcing it is postponing the final two issues of Batman versus Ra's al Ghul and Inferior 5 <clears throat> indefinitely. Brad, what was your take on this story, my friend? I'm chomping at the bits, so pardon me while I find something to chew on. Yeah, uh, here we go again. Um, more bad news. And I don't like that it's indefinite. Although they did say that they hope to be rescheduling it soon. But whenever it's indefinitely, it's always, you know, it's never a good sign. And it's just, oh man, every week with these delays, it's just such a bummer. But, you know, it's all stuff that we've talked about before. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, we, we've hit on this topic before. And I think it just, like you were saying, the word indefinite is the worst word you can attach to something like this. Because for fans of those titles who you know, maybe have subscriptions or stop by weekly to pick up the same set of books. When you hear something's indefinite, there's a little party that's like, eh, um, you know, it's over, it's gone, it's not coming back. If there's, you know, we've said in the past that if they give a good reason for, you know, something up with the creative team or just some kind of conflict in publishing schedules, that that makes a little bit more sense to a reader. That's something to hang on to. But when the word indefinite is attached, it sounds more like a toss away, like, yeah, we'll bring this back maybe eventually. And I, I just, yeah, it is it is a bummer. It is a huge bummer. Steve? Yeah, I hate that word indefinite. It really makes a bad situation sound even worse. And in the case of Inferior 5, really, really sad because I've been enjoying that book a lot. And the fact that when it does come back, it's going to end after issue six, not issue 12, was originally solicited. That hurts, too. On the other side, and it's very difficult for me to believe the words that are about to come out of my mouth. Um, the Batman and Rachel Gull, I'm not really that worried about because while he can still draw a mean Batman, I don't know if anyone's been reading this comic, but 
um, what? Uh, it's a mess. The, the the writing is absolutely. I don't know if my six year old niece could have written a better, better Batman story that makes more sense than this, but it looks pretty. And he's a legend, so let him tell his last Batman story. And hey, you never know. Maybe by the time we get to issue twelve, it might make sense. But I don't know. Um, I'm sad when anything gets uh, resolicited and pushed back. But uh, in the case of the Inferior Five, doubly more so. What about you, Seth? Well, Steve, I'm quite thankful that you were the one one to first sort of cast a bit of, uh, well, displeasure on the uh, Batman versus Ra's al Ghul. I've struggled with that book. I tried to get first through like the first two or three issues, and I really did not enjoy it. And I generally find myself enjoying takes on Batman. This was not something that I enjoyed. It was moments that I could look at and sort of, you know, find pleasure aesthetically. But overall, I thought maybe this was something that had to do with its sales or some other factor. Uh, Learning that also the Inferior Five is included is really frustrating. I absolutely love that series. I loved what they were doing with the storytelling. there's just something, I mean, one, I'm just the biggest sucker for Keith Giffen. I, I, I swear if he does something, I buy it. Like, it's just that easy for me. You know, it, it goes back to those early 90 days and the ways he made such an impact. And I felt that there was this recognition between he and Lemire about how they were approaching this great story, going back to the, the Dominators, going back to Invasion, going back and looking at something that, got skipped over and how that, you know, brought in the concept of the inferior five and just getting these little glimpses of stuff I loved. I mean, it doesn't really feel like it's a spoiler anymore, but Tasmanian devil just made my heart sing. There were great moments in this book that I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to experience because we've all brought it up. The worst word I can say on public air, uh, at least in my opinion is indefinitely. It's sort of like there's like whenever someone says that, there's always a big pause. This shall be stopped indefinitely. And you almost get that (laughs) sense of finality. And that's what this feels like. They just sort of came out and said, we're stopping this book. That is all. And I'm really frustrated by that because there's no other no other information to go along with it, except for that then very strange, very confusing Oh, but do keep an eye out for a resolicitation, which this is where I, I show my uh, absurdity. And I love that there was a Ryan Reynolds family guy where Ryan Reynolds breaks it off with Peter. And he's like, yeah, we can never talk again. Here's a cell phone so we can always talk. And that's what I feel like happened with this scene. Like they were like, yeah, indefinitely. But look for resolicitations. Like, OK, I, I now I don't even know if I trust you, which isn't a good feeling. So I'm I'm trying not to say I'm quite so much right now, and I'm going to stick with this is frustrating. I don't like it. I'm not as bothered by one title as I am by the other. This is a story we've covered a lot. And does anyone have anything else to add before we move to the next topic? <laughs> it could be a lot worse because Brad and I are still waiting uh, after a 15 to 20 year hiatus for Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham to finish Miracle Man. So, hey, <laughs> indefinitely. 
Understood. It 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 that that that's that's a long way. Yeah. Yeah, no arguing with that. Huh. Hey, you know, uh my segue is simply this. If you can't wait for the Justice League Dark movie coming out soon to see more of Swamp Thing, guess what? Turns out the military is going after Swamp Thing in giant number four. I'm not going to say that was a pretty segue. I don't even know if it qualifies as one. What I am going to say is that's our new topic. And I know Brad and Steve and Kelly are some of the biggest Swamp Thing fans you will ever come across. Don't believe me? Just listen. Brad, what's your take? Yeah, I'm really enjoying these Swamp Thing giant issues. I think they're my favorite of the giant series. Um, So I'm excited to see what they come up with next. And it definitely... In a real world scenario, I'm sure that the military would go after something like Swamp Thing. So that's not uh, that's not exactly surprising. But, yeah, if, if you're listening and you haven't read the Swamp Thing Giants, to me, there are some of the most enjoyable Swamp Thing stories, uh, you know, in in a long while. So, um, yeah, so definitely, definitely pick them up. Kelly, what do you think? Poor Swamp Thing, man. I mean, he's gone through some terrible stuff lately. The show got canceled. The military's after him. All the stuff he's stuck in my purse with on a regular basis. There's some Oreo crumbs, other eclectic nonsense. (laughs) Swamp Thing needs a break. But I am very, very excited um, about the entire Swamp, Swamp Thing Giant series. And I like sort of that old just... Looking at, at even this cover art, it's so reminiscent of old school comic books and like that, you know, giant monster versus confused military personnel style. And so I, I, I love this. I really hope Swamp Thing gets just a day in the in the sun or whatever plant entities like to do. Maybe. A, yeah. I mean, photosynthesis. But yeah, I, I, I love this. <laughs> Steve. Uh, uh, brilliant. Love it. <laughs> of all the dangers he could be facing. <laughs> Cookie crumbs. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> I actually collect this book. I picked up issue three from my local comic book store this very day. And I, I love what you said as well, Kelly, that these books are fun. This is the kind of comic that you would you know just pick up and and devour and they're big meaty books and the fact that they've got classic stories new stories that mixture of both and they feel like the comics i grew up with just seeing that logo and 100 page giant makes me feel like a big kid again and the glossy art and the vibrant covers these are just great i collect this i collect the batman giants i collect the world's finest batwoman supergirl giants um i got both the crisis and infinite earth one i was waiting for number two so now i can read them both and and enjoy those as well yeah guys just like brad said if you're not reading these giants do so and don't just read them for yourself this is the kind of book you want to give to the kids you want to give to everybody in the family because they're brilliant value for money 100 pages of story and art, including some brand new stuff never seen before, mixed in with some really, really great reprints. Seeing Zatanna's solo adventure again just makes me really happy. Brilliant. The military, you're going to get slimed by the Swamp Thing. You haven't got a chance. Bye-bye, Sunderland. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Seth, what did you think? I'm not one of those people who likes to say, was I right or was I right? But uh, 
hearing you guys break down everything about Swamp Thing, this giant series, and what to look forward to in this fourth book, the value behind it, how this is something great for kids. I mean, sure, I could look for all sorts of cute ways to pile on, but the best thing was listening to fans of Swamp Thing who've been reading Swamp Thing for as long as you all have, um, and have at times forced him to face things like Oreo cookie crumbs, which really, Kelly, that has to be one of the most nefarious things I've ever heard of. Um, <laughs> evil, evil. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, all I can hear now is a song, old rock song, Evil Woman. But no, no, no. <laughs> they weren't my Oreos, but that's a whole other story. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Now there's going to have to be a whole other title for this Swamp Thing encounter. The Oreo cookies that weren't Kelly's, who was the nefarious fiend who left them behind. The mystery <laughs> deepens. Um, you know, the thing that I, I love about the, the fun part of these stories is you can keep that in mind when you think about the concept that's that's being described here. They're hunting him from the swamp to the city. How many different ways can Swamp Thing move through a city? How many inventive ways can he make himself undiscoverable? to the military and then suddenly reveal when it's ingenuity come into play in this kind of storytelling and in this kind of format where fun and freedom make the format. Uh, combine that with classic reprints, wonderful uh, solo stories like that of Zatanna. Um, I really think adds to the pleasure and the value that you all did such a wonderful job describing and that I was lucky enough to hear as were our listeners, and if they're not fans, or if they weren't fans, I think they are now, which uh, kind of is one of those great things we love talking about, right? And with that, I have another one of those stories. We don't like to talk about, but we have to talk about because it's news, so we're going to talk about it, and when we're done, we're going to talk about other stuff. DC Birds of Prey, number one, pushback three more weeks. This is an update to a previous story from all the way back on February 13th. Brad, what's your thoughts, my friend? Oh, man, this one kind of hurts just because it, it's uh, it's losing so much momentum. It was great, to, the idea of having this come out right when the movie came out. That was perfect timing. And now it's even delayed longer. It's just, it's, it's just bad all the way around. Um, yeah, and, and there's just... There's no way to get that momentum back at this point. So that's just it's just a real shame. Uh, I, I do hope that people do still pick up the issue. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, a lot of people will. But it's just a real shame. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I would say as a whole, I'm very disappointed. And because initially this was going to be an ongoing series and now it's a one shot and now it's, you know, back and back again. And yeah, it, you kind of lose the momentum of right now, Birds of Prey are something that most people, if they've gone to a Walmart or a movie theater or any public space in the past couple of months, they've at least seen the Birds of Prey. They know who they are. So it's a lot more likely in this kind of hub to actually get people reading it, which, and everything comes back to that in a sense, that as comic fans, we love it when more people are reading comics and more people are into comics and it's it's disappointing when they try to piggyback something onto a movie that comes out and then it doesn't 
come to fruition or not in the way that we initially thought it would. And the same with Shazam and how delayed that got, even though the Shazam movie itself did so well, it's just, it's disappointing. Um, So I'll still pick it up when it comes out. I'm just really hoping that it, it'll still have a, a decent shot at getting a good following. Uh, Steve. Echoing everything you guys just said, it's just, it's never ending with this title. Uh, it should have been out October of last year, and now it looks like we're not going to get it to April, and it's no longer going to be an ongoing series by the looks of things. It's just going to be that 100-page, uh, one-shot prestige format graphic novel. So what's going on? Um, and again, they're not telling us why. Is there a dispute with the creative team? Is something else happening? Have they just decided that it's been so long since the movie now, they're just going to do this one story, see how it goes, and then maybe revisit it later? All I can say is thank goodness for Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connors um, little run that they've got going on now because it's terrific. That's giving my birds of prey fix and that great, great movie, which is, if you still haven't seen it, see it because it's brilliant. But yeah, this is just annoying. Um, sad because even though he's the most miserable man in the world, uh, Brian Azzarello is a fantastic writer and Emmanuel Lupacino's artwork is something I was really looking forward to seeing, especially in a grown-up black label Birds of Prey comic. So uh, frustrating, annoying, and actually in places almost anger-inducing. But hey, I'm going to be glasses half full. We've got something. He's going to get covered in crumbs. That's going to keep me smiling for the next story. Seth. (laughs) Yeah. There's a point where I start by saying, yeah. And I hope that the other words just sort of magically follow. And in moments like this, that doesn't always happen. When I think about what everyone has said, what I'm left with is this overwhelming feeling of disappointment and frustration. Um, Clearly, there's a a wave of momentum that you want to be a part of. And it's really difficult to recognize that when you need to be at a certain point and you weren't there, that's only kind of a a one-shot sort of setup. I don't get to do it as much, but I was lucky enough for a few years to really enjoy surfing. And there's this moment where you have to see the wave coming and begin providing enough momentum on your board in order to match the speed of the wave and be prepared enough for it to catch you with its momentum, pick you up, and then allow you to ride that momentum on that surfboard idea. When that moment is passed, no matter how hard you're paddling, You'll suddenly feel the momentum of it underneath you and then move by. And there is no sadder feeling (laughs) than realizing that you were there. You felt the momentum underneath your board. You were potentially able to catch it, but you weren't ready. You didn't set yourself up properly. Um, I'm also reminded, sadly, in a very frustrated way, and I hope this doesn't become like that, of how in the 90s... uh, Country music star Garth Brooks decided to do a movie and then he released a, an album that was like a concept album by a artist known as Chris Gaines. And then the movie never came out and then nobody understood what the album was about. And it just became this big convoluted mess. Now, I'm not saying it's gotten that far, but I feel like it's gotten closer to that than I would like. And I'm frustrated by the fact that it feels like for some reason 
there was just something that wasn't ready. And I know I don't know enough about movie making comics, lining up those two things, making that momentum match up so that you can take advantage of all the benefits. I've seen it when it worked and when it does, it's wonderful. But Kelly, you brought up a great thing about the Shazam example. It was a, a dud in the comic that followed up an amazing movie. And it just sadly is something we're still waiting to come to its fruition. And I think it's a beautiful story in the book, but the delays really hurt it. This delay is not helping in any way. And the frustration you all expressed uh, mirrored, anchored, and amplified my own. I don't want to uh, beat down on this subject anymore. So I'm going to give that three-second pause for anyone else to chime in. And then I'm moving on to happier topics. And with that, (laughs) I feel like We've all had our say with nothing else to add to it. I like this other topic. It's happier. Catwoman, 80th anniversary, the 100-page spectacular, and the release previews of the upcoming decade variants. All happy, happy thoughts, subjects, and images. Brad, what was your take on these beautiful pictures? Uh, It's Definitely. We talked about uh, some of these Catwoman covers last week or the week before, and this one is just as good um, as the rest. And I'm still kind of wondering which one that I want to pick up. Um, I still don't know. That'll have to be like a game day decision, I think, when I go to the comic shop. But yeah, this uh, yeah, this art is just incredible. Kelly, what do you think? I uh, I'm going to preface this with a, a backstory that is related I promise but I got this there was a, a Catwoman action figure that came out a couple of weeks ago and ordered it on Amazon was really excited about it was delivered to my house came home from work and it was gone and it is the only uh, the only package I've ever had stolen off of my front porch ever like ever oh. and I was telling one of my friends about it and they were like isn't Catwoman a thief and <laughs> hard time being upset about it. She stole her own action figure. <laughs> if there was anything to be stolen from me. <laughs> but yeah, so I I will not be ordering this online. I will pick, go, just go and pick it up in the store because I now have a, a superstition, a cat related superstition about not ordering cat woman related objects. Um, but this looks so fantastic. The artwork is absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, I, all of these, um, 80th anniversary books have been so, so fun to look at. So I am really, really excited to pick this one up. Steve? Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about this last week and all the covers we had up until that point were gorgeous enough. But when you see a Jim Lee Catwoman cover, totally in the style of the era he's portraying and almost could have been a page lifted out of his classic Batman Hush story with Jeff Loeb. It's just wonderful. And the fact that the website that we've sourced this story from for the show doesn't actually just have the finished cover it's got the pencils the inks and the finished cover is fantastic i'm going to be as soon as we get off this podcast making a gif um of those three um transitioning from one to the other pencils to inks the final copy because it's just gorgeous and i think now that i've seen it 
because of that classic Hush story and, and my love for it, that may be the one cover if I pick up just one that I have to get. But oh, they're all so brilliant. It's it's torture. It's exquisite, beautiful torture. What a year for DC Comics. These anniversary specials, just like you said, Kelly, are lovely. Seth, what do you make of this? I love looking at beautiful art and just kind of clicking through, following the lines, following the shapes, following the action and the emotion. And with a set like this, you really get that sleek, feline feel from Catwoman in every one of these images, Mm -hmm. except each one is a different take. I mean, one of the things that's amazing about cats, and I've been lucky enough to be around many animals and lived with quite a few cats in my time. And they have such complex personalities. They are not just one thing. They are not just 10 things. They are 10,000 variations, iterations, personalities, quirks. There's all these different pieces that reveal themselves in moments, just sort of like a kaleidoscope image and then sort of blend back in and become something else. I feel like we get that sense through these images, that we get that ability to see that sleekness, that very impressive, sleek power that's always restrained until it isn't. And there's something really impressive about that. Uh, the, 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 the images are just gorgeous. And I don't know what's going on with, uh, oh, I hope I don't ruin this one, Ji Hung Lee. Um, my goodness, whenever I look at those images that he creates, I find myself going, who does that? Oh, look, it's mm-hmm. Ji Hung Lee. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some absolutely <laughs> gorgeous stuff that I've seen. And this was just another great example. It was a really nice final note to so many wonderful images, so many legendary names, whether it's Jim Lee, as you mentioned, Steve, Frank Cho, Adam Hughes, uh, Gabriel Delato. I mean, really, you... I've I've sort of accepted, except for when I went ahead and advanced ordered the Flash um, cover. With most of these, I go in and it's kind of a game day decision. Like I just sort of walk in, like, all right, what's it going to be? <laughs> because up until then, I'm too busy enjoying what a wonderful selection it is, and I'm not trying to fixate or or choose just one. And thankfully, I don't have to just yet, because right now I'd be hard pressed to find a favorite. But sometimes that's just what you got to do. And when it comes to finding favorites, apparently the New York Times has chosen one that we have all had a chance to talk about. DC has proudly announced that the March 15th list of best-selling books will be led by Harleen made the New York Times bestseller in the graphic books and manga category. There was uh, a lot of excitement, I felt, in this story. Brad, what was your take? Yeah, I think it definitely deserves it. Uh, It was a good story. The art is uh, incredible. Uh, And the the actual book itself is a a beautiful product to hold. So I think that it couldn't have happened to a more uh, deserving book. Um, And... I'm curious now if they're going to want to continue that with like a second, uh, a second series, kind of like they did with uh, White Knight. But it, you know, it definitely, definitely deserved it. It's a good year to be a Harley Quinn fan. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? 
Yeah, I I agree. It, it definitely deserved it. Um, and it it makes me really proud not only to you know have have a DC book at the top of that list, but also just and I've definitely said this before, but to see the way that Harley Quinn has been developed as a character from you know from starting on the animated series but then even back when Suicide Squad was uh the year that came out I remember it still kind of being in the public in the public consciousness basically that like oh yeah the Joker and Harley Quinn cute couple you know goals or whatever but how different writers and um you know different movies and books have developed her as a character and really shown this sort of strength after or rewritten the events of her past are really, really well done and really compelling. So I think, if anything, this is a, it, it's a book that deserves to be there. And I think, at the very least, this should sort of put out the idea to people that there are versions of Harley Quinn that are so much more complex than we sometimes get just looking at the available options at a tattoo parlor. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Here, here. Well said. Could not agree more. She is much more than the Joker's girlfriend. And we've known that as comic book fans for many, many, many years. And the recent movie has helped prove that to cinema going audiences. And this comic, wow. Yeah. As you say, Brad, I'm not surprised it's hit the bestsellers list. It's a damn good story. A brilliant retelling of her origins beautifully illustrated Stephen said I, I knew he could paint I knew he was a fantastic artist but who knew the guy could write as well so so good and let's talk about something else let's talk about that trailer um now we're getting comic book trailers and they're wonderful they're as good if not better than some movie trailers this will help sell this book this will help push it further up the lists uh into the charts into the bestsellers and well deserved it's lovely to see and when you think that that's how stuff like Watchmen uh, got into it, never ceased being printed runs and the Sandman books and everything else that goes with it. More recently, of course, uh, uh, Sean Murphy's brilliant White Knight books. So, yeah, well deserved. I loved it. And I might actually pick up the collected edition as well because of all the extras that they've uh, added to the back of it. So. Bravo. Nice job. Seth, what did you think? Really great recognition for a really impressive accomplishment. I was hooked by this book. Um, another name that I always hope I'm going to say correctly, Stepan Sejic, um, does an amazing job in this series. I, I, I love the art. I ended up getting all the versions. I, I got the original and the variant for each one. Um, and I found myself at times thinking, this is just, there's something here that I'm going to look back on 10 to 20 years from now. And I'm going to recognize even all those years later as being so signature, so distinctive. There's really a very deep insight and understanding that's at place, not only in the story and telling, which is quite phenomenal and a really gorgeous approach to Harley Quinn's story. But the art, I mean, there's something impressive about when someone moves through mediums and what he 
is able to do in this book is really quite gorgeous. I'm now tempted by this idea, the collected addiction, simply because I, I love this little, just this little thought of having that original script outline along with the corresponding pages and, and following along and experiencing that development. It's, well, it's really great recognition for a very powerful work. And I enjoyed hearing everyone's support of it. Uh, all of your insights and uh, recognitions were really quite lovely. Um, I'm only happy to be an end cap to that and say, if you haven't read it yet, take the opportunity. It's a wonderful experience. It's a beautiful collection of art and it's a great story all in one. How can you miss out? How can you lose out? It's a win-win. And with that, we move on to news that... I knew it was coming. I mean, when it's a maxi series, you sort of know that there's an end. And yet at the same time, when it comes to this story, there's a wee bit of sadness that goes along with it. The uh, announcement that June 2020 will be the final issues for Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane. Uh, Steve and I have spoken at length about this. Brad, what's your take on this story, this series, this announcement? Yeah, it's at least they're not delayed or outright canceled. Um, so that's a little positive note. Uh, and it's kind of nice that they get to leave on a high note. Uh, these were fan favorites. People love the stories. So it's like you could see it as like one solid season of a great television show in a mini, like maybe like a mini series, and then it moves on kind of like Watchmen. Um, so, you know, it, it it's sad to see it go, but at least it did get to leave at the top of its game. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, it is definitely sad that it's ending. Um, although I do definitely prefer that it's sort of a, a far out. It's not, you know, oh, we're ending at the next episode in, in a month instead of, you know, it's kind of a more distant ending we know that the writers and the creative team have the time to build up to the type of ending that they want and it sounds like they you know really do have a lot of planning and enthusiasm to it so it's not sort of that tragic ending where it's you know they know they're getting cut we got to wrap everything up really quick um so yeah it's it is definitely a little bit heartbreaking but I think this is this is a better way for this to go than to say, you know, run out spinning their wheels or end up getting cut too short. Um, Steve, what did you think? Yeah, it's always sad when you see at the front of a cover of a comic book that you're really enjoying a 12 issue miniseries. And then those 12 months just go far, far too quickly. And I, I have to thank Seth profusely for this because these are two books I don't know if I honestly would have picked up, but I listened to his uh, reviews on the spinner rack and I thought, let's give these a go. I I'm so glad that I, I did. And these are books I now read monthly. And when they collect them, I'm going to get the collected editions. I love them that much. And they're so different. Uh, Jimmy Olsen feels like a cross between the old anthologies from the 50s and 60s, uh, collecting short little snippets of Jimmy Olsen stories. And sometimes they're wacky. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes he's like a Peanuts character. Sometimes he's like a dark detective and a pulp story all in one cover. And they're all linked. They're all interconnected. They're all telling the one story, but in the guise of tiny little mini stories. 
And then you get the complete opposite extreme with the Lois Lane miniseries where she's a hard-nosed reporter struggling with things in her personal life and seeing the secret come out with Superman and is she having an affair with Superman before the world realises who he really is and everything else that goes with it and the dark web of intrigue in her series and the question, Renee Montoya. It's just brilliant, brilliant comics. And like... Brad said, sometimes the best stories are told in 10 or 12 issues, Watchmen, V for Vendetta. And with this article, it says that there is hope. The fan response to these two miniseries has been so great that they developed hashtags um, to save these titles and bring them back in ongoings. And if that happens, and if they're of this quality, sign me up. Love these books. Sad they're ending, but at least... Unlike uh, Inferior 5, they're getting their full 12 issues and not being cut halfway at six like Inferior 5 is. So, Mr. Olsen, Miss Lane, loved you guys my entire life. And books like these will make me love you forever. Seth, what did you think? Well, the first thing I have to say is, Steve, thank you for that nod of the head, that tip of the hat. Um, It was a wonderful discovery for me to read those books. I felt duty bound to share them on the spinner rack it seemed like my responsibility that if i didn't i would be doing a disservice to great comic books great comic book storytelling great art originality inventiveness and the willingness to take on really difficult subjects head on with an unflinching resolve um i loved also that both brad and kelly put that positive spin on it for me keeping in mind the fact that this isn't a story about something that's been cut short, canceled, or stopping indefinitely, to use that oh-so-horrible word, that this is an announcement about a coming to an end, a plan ending, the chance to, as Brad pointed out, tell a story through one season, much like The Watchmen did on HBO recently, and for us to be the better for it, I have enjoyed everything these books have done. Um, Jimmy Olsen is a madcap archaeology experiment that seems to unearth the past while at the same time looking to the future and bumbling through the present. What we get is, as you pointed out, Steve, this wonderful collection of mini short stories contained within an issue, all part of a sprawling narrative all connecting this idea about how Jimmy is potentially the most dangerous person in the world, or at least the most difficult to ensure, and how he seems to rub everybody the wrong way, both deliberately, unintentionally, and with that sort of cheeky, freckled grin that we've all come to know and love. Um, when it comes to Lois Lane, I... I <laughs> I'm lucky that I fell in love and married when I did, or there's a chance I would be pursuing Miss Lane in a very difficult fictional relationship, and it would never come to fruition. But what she has shown me, the the, the sheer perseverance and the tenacity, coupled with the, the brilliance that comes with years of experience as a reporter, we're touching on subjects like immigration, like questionable business practices between the government and entities. And through it, we're also seeing these beautiful human you know, moments that 
make it all feel like it's happening to those people that we know and care about very closely, very personally. And through that, the discoveries and the impacts have been wonderful. Um, seeing Renee Montoya, getting a chance to see two questions in one issue, uh, watching Lois take on challenges like Kiss of Death, it it really has been a wonderful ride. And if it is only for 12 issues, I'm going to look back on this collection, smile to myself, pick up the collected work later, read that over and over again until it's completely threadbare and worn down and hanging on by the, the few little strands of glue that can keep it together. Um, I, I've really been just thankful that when there's an opportunity to tell an amazing story, these two books have set a challenge and a bar and then continue to meet and exceed it. I am going to stop gushing because I feel like someone needs to at some point just kind of damn me off a little bit and slow me down. But I, I was really thankful for the experience of these books. I love that this is a triumphant final issue announcement and a celebration of what I think are two really magnificent works that I've been lucky enough to read and talk about on here. Um, yeah. With that, <laughs> and there, see, the dam has dropped, the gushing has stopped. We can move on to another subject, one that wouldn't fall really into the TV and streaming, but is a great way to think about the future of comics. And that is the announcement that DC's Sandman is about to become a multi-part audible drama. Check your ears and then make sure they're nice and clean because you're going to want to hear every bit of this story. But first, you're going to want to hear from a well-read Sandman fan like Mr. Felicki. Brad? Yeah, I can't. I cannot wait for this because it's it's going to be so much fun to experience the story yet again in another way. Uh, I'm, yeah, I can't wait to see how they do this. And Audible does a pretty darn good job with their audible originals and their like audio plays uh they're generally put together very well so i have faith that this is going to be a really good final final result and i I, what i am curious is exactly how much of the story they're going to be able to adapt and if it's something that they're going to be able to expand on uh in the future but yeah i'm i'm all on board for this i can't wait kelly yeah, I'm very excited, partly because this means I can listen to Neil Gaiman talk while I drive to work, which is going to be amazing. Um, and then partly, I, as far as the actual adaptation goes, this is going to be so fascinating in the sense of, um, I mean, it's one of one of sort of the side things that I do is help people edit scripts into comic book scripts. And a lot of times they start with something that, well, here's a short story or here's something that I thought was going to be a movie and with turning things from one element into a comic book, it's you have to break everything down by what can you actually show by the second visually. That's still interesting to do that in reverse and say, now we're taking the visuals out completely. You can't see anything is it's just going to be fascinating. And because Neil Gaiman's involved in it, I have just complete faith. I, there's no part of me that thinks this isn't going to be amazing. Uh, Steve. With Sandman, I sign on as soon as I hear those words. But then when I hear as well that Neil Gaiman will be narrating, executive producing and being a part of this 
I'm doubly signed on. But then I got the triple whammy. Um, I'm a huge fan of audio dramas from the original radio adaptations of the Star Wars trilogy, um, which I still own on audio cassette, to things like uh, Batman Nightfall, Superman Doomsday, um, which were, and this is the bit that's really exciting me, directed and produced by Dirk Mags. So those classic audio dramas I own particularly the DC ones, were done by this guy. He also did a fantastic adaptation of Stanley and Steve Ditko's Spider-Man guest starring in the Fantastic Four, and they were brilliant. And now he's joining forces with Neil Gaiman to produce Sandman, arguably the greatest uh, long-form series of comics produced during the DC and then the change to the Vertigo era. Wow, wow, wow. Guys, you can pick. Um, well, you just got me yeah. more excited yeah. than they didn't yeah. think I could be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dirk Mags is the man. Seriously, if you go onto iTunes and pick up his Nightfall, he adapted all of Nightfall, Night Quest, and Night Send into audio. Um, and it's awesome. It's literally a movie without pictures. That's literally the only way I can describe his productions. And him doing Sandman with Neil Gaiman. My excitement levels have shot through the roof into space and are going to break through what's left of the source wall. I am so happy. Seth, take over from here because I'm drooling. Not only that, my friend, but whereas I used to worry about the uh, floor of your um, structure where you live and how on occasion you've crashed through it, I now have to worry about all dimensional existence if you're crashing through things like the, the source wall. Just I no longer have a roof. <laughs> you know, at some point, we're going to have to talk about who your contractor is and what kind of deal you've got going on to get that stuff repaired. Or if not, how does one manage with so many holes in one living dwelling? That's that's impressive. You know, Steve, I was already on board when I was reading about how much Dirk Mags has played a part in projects like Nowhere Stardust, Good Omens, Anansi Boys. But I had no idea about his role on Superman, Batman productions that had already existed and that I was completely unaware of. Now that you've clued me into this, not only do I want to enjoy those in preparation, but my expectations have, well, they've become a bit stratospheric at this point, simply because one of the things I was thinking about when I was listening to what Kelly was talking about is how you've removed the visuals, how you now have to rely on that ability through audio description to create that same sense of beauty, wonder, and awe that Sandman comics were so well known for. But now you can know that you've got a trusted master with someone like Dirk Mags with the collaboration of the originator. And with that, you've sort of set yourself up on the best path to success. I mean, there, there, there's something added when Neil Gaiman is part of it. There's something uh, expected when you know that now you've got this amazing creative director, uh, executive producer, and narrator with Dirk Maggs. So I think you've really sort of set us up for this wonderful experience. I think we all have a lot to look forward to. Now the only question is, how do we find the time to fit it into our day? And who will suffer the first traffic accident when they're distracted? Mm. Uh, please consider public transportation while enjoying this during your daily, nightly, whatever commute, just for the safety of others. You guys have really geared me up for something I 
thought I was excited for and now clearly understand just how much more that feeling extends. Thanks, everyone. I really appreciate it. Times like these, I'm really glad I don't drive. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) That's what's good about living in New York. Hey, you know, if somebody else is going to do it for you, sit back, enjoy the ride, and listen to something amazing like the upcoming Sandman story we've all been talking about. I mean, sounds like a perfect way to uh, to enjoy the ride. Now, sadly, our final bit of news falls into that other category, and it's one that we hope is not something that we will be returning back to, but could be a portent of things to come in the future. Originally, it was announced that DC Comics was canceling its convention appearance at the Emerald City Comic Con, along with many other notable publishing names. It's now been brought to my attention by the wonderful Mr. Steve J. Ray that an update has occurred and that the Emerald City Comic Con has, in fact, itself been canceled. Brad, what was your take on this recent development and announcement? Uh, you know, it's a bummer. Better safe than sorry. Uh, you know, I guess right now, as this thing is is getting worse, it's it is probably a smart move. Um, I I just in a worldwide way, I hope that that we can figure this out soon so that less people have to suffer. And as a fan, I hope this doesn't um, mean that more of these cons will be canceled as the year goes on. I don't mean to sound selfish that way, but uh, <laughs> I think a lot of fans just they love these cons. And it's just it's just a shame that we're at this point um, where things are getting this bad that that has to happen. It's just it's it's a real shame. And, uh, you know, just everybody wash your hands, please wash your hands. <laughs> um, and. You know, you just kind of got to hope for the best. Hopefully, you know, in the weeks ahead, we'll have better news about these things and uh, we'll get this under control. But for now, like I said, I think it's better safe than sorry. Kelly? Yeah. Um, I. It's funny, when I first heard that they were, you know, and I, I think it was from a Facebook post a couple days ago that they were considering canceling different conventions. And I remember thinking back to New York Comic Con and just how my only complaint was how crowded it was. And it makes so much sense when you think about a convention and how many people are there just kind of, you know, you you all rifle through the same comic book boxes. You all pick up things and look at them and put them down. And it's it's really unfortunate, but I think it is a good call if we're talking about something that could really put people's, you know, health and lives at risk. Um, and yeah, it's... It's good that they're, you know, looking to reschedule. Hopefully the fans that were planning on going to this one in a couple of months will be able to go to, you know, an, an even more spectacular one somehow. But, um, yeah, it's the the whole situation is really unfortunate. But I, I do have to say I appreciate that companies are more interested in keeping the public healthy and functioning than, you know, well, however much they might lose from not being at this convention marketing at this time so that's it's a bummer but yeah like brad said uh wash your hands and and a nice pair of jeans (laughs) (laughs) it's a horrible horrible thing to happen but it's happening for the right reasons and yeah i feel bad for the fans that are missing out and for the publishers and artists and creators that won't be able to uh 
show their work to an audience that really loves and appreciates it. But much better that than the possible worst case scenario alternatives. Um, it's a horrible thing, but it's it's done for the public health and for the public good. So I, I can see why. But again, people and we're seeing it in the UK. I don't know if it's the same in the US where we're starting to see people hoarding things as simple as uh, lavatory paper and hand sanitizer and rice and pasta because they think they can get quarantined and not be able to leave their houses. Um, follow precautions, wash your hands. When you sneeze, um, use sanitizer, get rid of it. But don't panic and think we're all going to die because literally every single day, more people are dying of the actual flu and of starvation around the world and have died total mm -hmm. from coronavirus. Just be careful, be healthy, be uh, use sanitation properly and anything that you share, um, just, just wash your hands between passing it over but don't panic don't think the world's going to end this is going to be a rerun of the walking dead in real life and we're all going to die that's not going to happen but just be a decent human being to everyone around you and then we'll all get through this and we'll live to see another day and hopefully if they reschedule this comic-con for the summer then fans will still get to meet their heroes and have a great great couple of days away look at cosplays, read comics, see some beautiful art and have fun with people who feel the same way about it as they do. Seth, what did you make of it? Well, I do really have to respect the recognition of a degree of social responsibility that we all have to consider and take on in the face of a pandemic. When there's a widespread illness, much like we should all remind ourselves to be aware of our personal hygiene, wash our hands, be respectful of others when we're sneezing and doing things like that. There's a responsibility for Emerald City Comic Con to consider the risk involved in bringing so many people together when there's a chance that it could actually make this situation worse. Their responsible consideration, their willingness to look past the dollar amount and look at the personal cost and the health risks involved and say, let's do the best, wisest decision right now, the decision of caution. Let's respect the safety of everyone who wanted to come and should still get to once this time period has passed and we found a way to keep this outbreak from spreading without our ability to understand, control, anticipate, or remedy. And let's be aware of the fact that right now we're talking about human lives, human health, and that if that's our focus, then we're generally going to err on the side of right. And that caution in this time is probably the best course of action. I'm seeing it around where we live. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, which is right in San Francisco nearby, has closed its doors. They're encouraging employees to work remotely. They're encouraging people to not travel unless they have to. They're canceling traveling trips. I recently had a supervisor who was supposed to come up and see me for a work thing. His has been canceled because about 20 minutes away from me in Berkeley, we had a confirmed case. There's a degree of concern that is important to recognize, and there's the safety that always needs to be considered. This is a responsible decision on the part of all parties involved, 
And while I'm disappointed in the development, I have to respect their willingness to make what I feel is the right decision. That was our last story. So I want to give an opportunity for anyone else to add in. Everyone really had some great insights. And I know that this is something that is uh, not just about comics, but about the world at large. Uh, if there's any final thoughts, I don't want to be the one to inhibit them. Just stay safe out there, everyone. Cheers. And I believe with that, our final story we bring episode number 62 to a close. Now, if you've enjoyed spending time with this cadre of cohorts, we call collectively the DC Comics News Podcast team. You can enjoy us on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. So please, if you haven't, head on over, subscribe, rate and review. And more importantly, we would love to know what your thoughts are. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you need is the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. And you can reach out to each of us individually because we all have a bit of a presence out there in that social media world. Starting us off, Mr. Brad, where can the people find you should they wish to make contact? Uh, you can find me writing reviews and news on DC Comics News. I can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. And Kelly, where can the good people reach out, make contact with you if they so desire? Um, you can find my opinion and editorial articles on DC Comics News. And I have a Twitter, K-E-L-G-A-I-N-E-S-W-R-I-T-E, Kel Gaines Wright. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. And Mr. Steve J. Ray, how can the good people find you, my friend? Go to the web browser of choice, open up the search engine of choice, type in the words Steve J. Ray, all the words fantastic universes, and that'll take you to the corners of the Internet where I have done my damage. Uh, written reviews, interviewed TV stars, comic book writers and artists, and lots of other very interesting people, mostly for the wonderful DC Comics News and Dark Knight News. Do that, and also have a chat with me on Twitter, anytime you fancy, at Elstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O, on this wonderful show with my buddies here, and of course on the I Am The Night podcast, where we break down the Batman animated series every single week. Seth, Sultan of Smooth, where can the world and his mother find you, sir? I offer the most soothing tones I can provide. I do this through my words on DC Comics News when it comes to comic reviews, and I do my best on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, one of two partner programs collaborating with the DC Comics News podcast, and I'm hoping that we are the progenitors for those who will follow. We've said it before. I'll say it again. Flicky Fashions is coming. I have yet to come up with an amazing name for the upcoming Kelly feature. I don't know what it is yet. I believe it has something to do with what is in your purse. Do you have a purse book? Something along those lines. But for now, today it needs to be called How the Cookie Crumbles, I think. Ooh. Ooh. That's perfect. <laughs> 
I like it. And, and I feel like there's something in there with like a Oreo cookies, comic books, purse book. We we've, we've got some, we've got some stuff to play with. Definitely folks check us out. DC comics news podcast. Check out. I am the night. Find yourself revisiting a wonderful classic like Batman, the animated series as told by my good friend, Mr. Steve J Ray. Listen to me if you want on the spinner rack for my top five picks each and every week. And more importantly, Check us out and let us know what you're thinking in all the ways that we provided, because really, we do our best when we know what you're thinking, what you like, what more we can continue to offer. So as a group, we only have one final message, and that is to always read more comics. And like that, until next time. Thank you, everyone.